1: Good evening, one and all, and welcome back to the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you would like to, send me an email, exxon at exxoneradiotv.com on all social media sites, TV, And to find out about the programming that we have available for you 24-7-369 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit our website at www.xzbn.com. Net. And for the Exxon TV channel, which is exclusive to Simultv, visit www.simultv.com. That's S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. And at the top of the page on the left-hand side, you'll see Channels. Click on that and then just scroll down the many wonderful channels that are available to you till you get to the Exxon. Click on it and you can either subscribe to the, uh, uh, to the channel at that point or just see what's going on by watching the viewer guide. ExoNation, my guest this hour, is a gentleman I had the pleasure of talking to a number of times over the many years doing this show. His name is Barry Downing, and uh, Barry uh, is a former Presbyterian minister and ancient astronaut proponent. His book, The Bible and Flying Saucers, in 1968, claims UFO phenomenon are responsible for many of the events that, uh, that were reported and talked about in the Bible. Now he wrote in the book that Jesus was an extraterrestrial sent to earth to rid the world of sin and wickedness. He cited biblical lines such as Jesus was from another world found in John 8.23 to support this claim. Bowery also believed that Jesus left the earth in a flying saucer to another planet or perhaps to another spiritual uh, dimension or spatial dimension I should say. In the book, Barry claimed that angels from the Bible were actually aliens and that the angelic alien spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai where he boarded a UFO to receive stone tablets at, um, and specifications for the construction of the tabernacle. Joining me now is Barry Downing. And uh, First of all, Barry, thank you very much for coming on the show and congratulations on the fiftieth 50th, an- uh, 50th edition or 50th anniversary edition of your book.
2: Yeah, glad that I lived to see it. So here we are.
1: Here we are. Barry, where did your interest uh, in in UFOs and the biblical connection come from?
2: Well, I started reading Donald Kehoe books when I was Mm -hmm. in high school, and that would have been in 1955, thereabouts. And then I majored in physics in college and had some interest in UFOs then, but then went on to seminary. Right. And... um, while I was in seminary, the conflict between science and religion became clearer. Uh, one of my professors said, Nobody today believes in the ascension of Jesus, do they? And if he didn't ascend to heaven, we may suppose his bones lie buried somewhere in the Middle East, which means right there he'd wiped out two key parts of the Christian faith, the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension. And the reason that he gave for doubting these things is that biblical people believed in the three-decker universe, they believed in uh, heaven above, hell below the earth, and earth flat in the center. And he said that cosmology was uh, very primitive. We know it's not true. Since Copernicus, we know that the sun is the center of the solar system, mm-hmm. not the earth, and that the earth goes around it and so on. And the earth rotates on its axis. So when you get right down to it, you can't say heaven is up because there is no up or everywhere is up. Uh, That kind of blew my mind, if you want to know the truth, because I thought that believing in the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus and our hope for going on to the heavenly world where he is were key parts of the Christian faith, and here I was, a senior in seminary, and uh, what was I going to say at a funeral, you
1: know?
2: We used to believe that when Grandma died, she was going to go off and join Jesus. Now we have to say, well... That was primitive thinking. Now Grandma's just dead, and there you are, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, That didn't appeal to me. (laughs) So I decided to go on to do graduate study in science and religion at the University of Edinburgh, and to shorten it a bit, by the time I was in my third year of Ph.D. studies, I hit on the idea that maybe the angels in the Bible are what we now think of as extraterrestrials or space beings. And maybe they used a uh, spacecraft for travel. They didn't fly with wings. In fact, I was sure that the wings in a lot of our Christian paintings were put on by artists in order to explain how they could get from heaven to earth or whatever. And we knew that that wasn't going to work. So maybe there were signs of uh spacecraft in the Bible. And I started looking for those signs. And when I found them, then. I finished my Ph.D. work, came back to the United States, and began writing the Bible flying flying Saucers immediately, and had it finished within about six months. Wow. So that's how it went.
1: You know, Barry, um, over the many years that I've been doing this show, I, I have to say it was you who opened my mind to the possibility that, in fact, extraterrestrials and the Bible have a very serious connection. And... While I was thinking about what you had written in your book and, and the conversations that we've had, Genesis, where it says, and God said, let us create man in our image. That always perplexed me in my younger days. But when I, when I read your book and when you and I talked, it all made sense. Well, wait a minute. If there are these angels, if there's this, that, and the other thing, where does it say that there cannot be be one God who is the head honcho, and other gods that, or other beings like angels, guardian angels, and uh, the uh, the the ranking throughout the the angelic realm, realm. To to quantify this belief, like it all makes sense if you really sit down and take the time to think about it.
2: Yeah, I don't know where this is all going to go. Uh, I don't know who you're, you know, listening to from the UFO field now, but. Just in the last two years, a lot of things are happening. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much it's going to open up. But uh, once you put aliens flying in our skies, and once you project the possibility they've been around not just for uh, 100 years or 1,000 or maybe 10,000, then you have to suppose that beings with uh, advanced genetic abilities may have shaped the biology of the Earth all the way along. Uh, including the development of humans and so my take on uh, making humans in God's own image right I would see two I see two dimensions to that okay one is that I am basically the real me uh, with you now is invisible meaning the consciousness of myself and my body makes the inner me more visible my voice makes me more hearable of course But the essence of God is invisible, so that the essence of God is a lot like uh, myself in some ways, that the better part of myself I can't even see. But I think the other side of it is that um, when we see the stories in the Bible of some of the angels, they look very human. Mm -hmm. And so my guess is that uh, whoever the aliens are that look very human, according to, well, if you read. Genesis chapter 18, three men approach um, uh, Abraham and, I, uh, and his wife, uh, Sarah, and tell them they're going to have a baby.
1: Like right. They don't really
2: think it's possible. But these three beings are referred to as the Lord. Now, is one of the three the Lord, or are they the Lord altogether? You know, what is this? But in any case, I would say that. We need to see the angelic realm mm-hmm. as perhaps having had a direct role in the formation of life on Earth, including human life. And the angels may indeed have made us in their own image, meaning that they look very human, and therefore sure. <laughs> we look the way we do.
1: But Barry, okay. how, how do we know, and I'm, I'm going to play the other side of the coin here, how do we know sure. that what is written in the Bible is anything else but folklore, legend?
2: We don't. We don't. However, if you just take um, Exodus, Exodus chapter thirteen and mm-hmm. fourteen, okay, this is absolutely key part in my book. Um, after the ten plagues came upon Egypt, and you know Moses had been announcing the various plagues, uh, the tenth one was Passover,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and the Jewish firstborn were killed. Yeah. Then the Jews left Egypt, and they were met when they finally got out of Egypt by a pillar cloud. This is Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light.
1: All right, Barry, we're going to have to take our commercial break, please. Stand by. And Exxon Nation, when we come back, more of this interesting conversation with our very special guest this hour, Barry Downing. Uh, We're talking about Bibles and Flying Saucers this hour here in the x Barry is the author of The Bible and Flying Saucers. He wrote it originally in 1968, but it, there is a 50th anniversary edition that is available at Amazon.com. I'm Rob McConnell, the x and I will continue with uh, Barry Downey on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Welcome back, one and all. Um... This is The Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Barry Downing is my guest. He's the author of The Bible and Flying Saucers that was originally published in 1968, but here we are 50 years later, and there is a 50th anniversary edition that is available on Amazon.com. Now, before I get back to Barry, I'd just like to remind you that uh, there are several great shows that we have for you here on The Exxon Broadcast Network, including A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall, Paranormal Stakeout with Larry Lawson, Know the Name, Know the Genius in You with Sharon Lynn Wyeth, Too Good to Be True with Justina and Peter Marsh, Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka, and Connecting with Coincidence with Dr. Bernie Biteman. For all the listings, all the times, and all the shows that we have available for you, 724-365, with our compliments, visit www.xzbn.com. Barry, before we went to the commercial break, I believe you were just going to uh, start telling us about the exodus where... Uh, the pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night were leading the uh, the Israelites uh, on their on their exodus.
2: Yes, let me just add to your comment, your uh, at devil's advocate.
1: Mm-hmm. If
2: you look up Moses um, on Wikipedia, you will see one of the things it says is that most scholars now think Moses was a literary figure, like. Uh, you know, somebody in a Shakespeare play like Hamlet. Sure. In other words, Moses never existed. So, you know, there's skepticism about the reality of the Bible from sure beginning is. to end. And uh, one of the things that if we're looking at the possibility of disclosure, mm-hmm. I don't know whether you've had people like Richard Dolan on your show or not. I, but I, uh,
1: Yeah, we've talked about disclosure, and I really don't think it's coming. I really yeah, don't.
2: Well, all right, but if it did, see, mm-hmm. A lot of red faces, (laughs) because suddenly you can have a reality that was active in the life of the earth for thousands of years, and they haven't um, landed and taken over directly. Mm -hmm. But they've used what I call targeted intervention, and the Exodus is an example of targeted intervention. In other words, they picked the Jewish people to make a display what I would call a religious display. Uh, they created a religion mm-hmm. that is alive to this day, and they did it through uh, what I would call brute force. <laughs> you know, beginning with the plagues in Egypt, and then the pillar cloud of fire. I think right. is what uh, uh, Eric Mandanikan would call the uh, chariot of the gods.
1: All right, but let, let me ask you. Let me ask you this, Barry: If we yep. are being told now that Moses was just uh, a player in a play and that the credibility of the Bible is at stake, because if they lied about Moses, what else is fiction? What else are lies? Would not the faces also be read for those who really believe that disclosure is close and within their lifetime disclosure doesn't happen?
2: I suppose that's true. But, you know, I think that there's enough disclosure now so that at least the plausibility of the kind of things I'm saying are now seem to be possible. I mean, up until two years ago, mm-hmm. I think there wasn't enough indication of reality of UFOs to, uh, to make my work seem worthwhile. But and where, where is that it.
1: reality now, sir? I, I'm having a problem understanding what reality you see that UFOs are real.
2: Well, have you seen the Nimitz stuff?
1: Oh yeah, now hold on here, hold on here. With the Nimitz, there's a lot of controversy, a lot of controversy. You know, it's, it's once again, the biggest question that has not been answered by anyone is, why would you send unarmed jets to intercept an unknown target? You know, there are so many holes in the Nimitz story. Yeah, it happened in, what, 19, in 2015? Here we are, 24. Uh,
2: oh, no, no. Oh, no, no, this is 2004.
1: All right, 2004. So why did it take so long for it to be disclosed if it was real?
2: I think that, first of all, all these guys signed non-disclosure uh, agreements, Right. And so they worry about losing their pension. Mm-hmm. I think that behind this, the question is, why is it this is coming from the Navy and not the Air Force?
1: Excellent point.
2: Yes, and I think the answer is that there's interdivisional rivalry, and that the Air Force has controlled most of the UFO information up till now, and all the Air Force pilots keep their mouths shut. I think that whatever was going on with the Nimitz thing, that the commander of the ship was really ticked, because if we'll say, the uh, UFOs that were being chased by our jets right. were made by us, if it's our advanced technology. Then they were making fools of their jets, okay. <laughs> and so I think that the Nimitz thing came out eventually because of interdivisional uh, rivalry in the in the in the uh, services. But in any case, okay, we've got th- some kind of technology there that uh, didn't just come out of nowhere. Even if it's our advanced stuff, mm-hmm. I think we copied it somewhere.
1: Why? Why? And Why that, would we have to copy it? Aren't we smart enough as a human race? To, to develop this kind of hyper hyperspace vehicle that this could be, or an advanced uh, propulsion system that isn't out in full view yet? Aren't we not that smart? We sent a man to the moon without having to copy an extraterrestrial's uh, propulsion system.
2: See, But this is why I like the Pillar Cloud and Fire, because okay. that was not an Air Force project, okay? Okay. And, and it hovered over the Red Sea, and the Red Sea split... In the, in the straight walls of water.
1: Uh-huh.
2: You know, an anti-gravitational force would do that, and the Air Force didn't do it, okay? okay that's, but why I uh, liked, all right, that's why I like... All the, right, uh, I, I, can,
1: I understand it's a great story, but there's no evidence, no proof, that it actually happened. Up until there is, it's just a real good story, like many of the stories within the Bible. They all teach see, us a the lesson. Way,
2: the way truth works, okay, mm-hmm. is usually you pull many pieces together until you get a coherent piece. And I'm just saying, I think the coherent pieces are beginning to come together. Uh, We will see. Maybe you can have me back on in another couple of years. I'd love
1: to, sir. I'd love to. I thoroughly enjoy talking to you.
2: Yep. Let me read you this. Sure. Okay? Uh, This is from Exodus chapter 33. Uh, After Mount Sinai, they Mm -hmm. built the tabernacle, uh, which is the house of worship, and the Jews lived in their tents near the tabernacle, and from verse seven on in chapter thirty three now moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp far off from the camp and he called it the tent of meeting and everyone who sought the lord would go out to the tent of meeting which was outside the camp whenever moses went out to the tent all the people rose up and every man stood at his tent door and looked after moses until he had gone into the tent when moses entered the tent the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the door of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing to the door of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship every man at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now, any person going back in time and seeing this same scene would say there was a UFO hovering over the tent. It would move to a position just in front of the door of the tent and some alien in the spacecraft would talk to Moses or this guy. That's how we read it now. Okay, so, let, so me, let
1: me ask you, just give me a second here. When was the first mention of an angel in the Bible? Before, before Moses and the pillar of smoke and pillar of fire, or after that?
2: Uh, angels are named in uh, Genesis chapter 19 directly.
1: Okay, is it possible that... In some time, uh, some time, the angelic reference or the angelic painting or description was a pillar of smoke or a pillar of fire. And then through time, it changed to a person with wings.
2: Uh, I guess I don't follow that very well.
1: All right, look, let, I mean, me, let, me, let me just put, put it this way. The first contact that Moses has was the burning bush, Right. Yes. Okay. Fire. He could see it. Then he has. Then there's the pillar of smoke, the pillar of fire. He goes up Mount Sinai, gets the the tablets, come back down. Am I right? Right. Okay. So is it possible that over time, what was a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire that were uh, identified as angels, changed into
0: humans? you can't get much for five bucks these days unless you go to wendy's for a five dollar biggie bag get your choice of double stack junior bacon cheeseburger or crispy chicken blt plus four piece nugs fries and a drink all for just five bucks That was smooth, wasn't it? That's how you're gonna feel when you get that biggie bag at Wendy's. U.S. price and participation may vary. Includes four-piece nuggets, small soft drink, and small fry. Prices may be higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Texting privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Messaging data rates may apply. Reply stop, stop, stop. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can days guaranteed text grade to 323232 right now and get started for just one dollar text grade to 323232 now text grade to 323232.
1: with wings or the uh, the representation of angels became more human-like
2: well the angels reported in genesis chapter uh, 19 okay. are very human looking okay, okay. they, they looked like ordinary people um so I, I don't know about, you know, the conversion. The idea of wings yeah. were on the cherubim that were on the Ark of the Covenant, mm-hmm. and they were to be guardians of the law. The law of God on the tablets was underneath right. at the bottom part of the Ark. Uh, and so as far as um, the you know wings on angels, mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem to be very much part of 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 uh, the Bible, and certainly in the New Testament of uh, the being at the resurrection of Jesus, an angel descends from heaven and rolls back the stone, right he has on bright clothing, but there's no mention of any wings on that being same time in Acts chapter twelve, an mm-hmm. angel comes into the jail where Peter's in jail and knocks off all his chains and leads him out of the prison and he's never mentioned as having any any wings so there's this passage from Uh,
1: All right, uh, right, Barry, we've got to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Please stand by. Exxonation, Barry Downing is our special guest. He's the author of The Bible and Flying Saucers. It was originally published in 1968. And uh, there's a special anniversary edition, 50th anniversary edition, available at Amazon.com. We'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Barry Downing is our guest this hour explanation if you'd like to get a copy of his book, The Bible and Flying Saucers, the 50th Anniversary Edition, it's available on Amazon.com. Barry, what would happen in today's society if it was proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, based on disclosure, that the extraterrestrials were responsible for a lot of the accounts in the Bible? How would this affect religious philosophies around the world?
2: I would say it's earth-shading, especially for Christians, mm-hmm. uh, probably for Jews also. I'm not so sure about Muslims. Uh, Mohammed thought that both uh, Moses and Jesus were prophets, Right. and so any information that would link Moses and Jesus to extraterrestrials would presumably impact Muslim thinking. But beyond that, I don't know. I think that Hinduism, Buddhism, and so on, would absorb this information with hardly a blink, okay?
1: Yeah, I agree.
2: There's a big difference between uh, Eastern religions in general, uh, which focus more on meditation. Uh, They don't have special revelation from, we'll say, the angelic world in Mm -hmm. general. Uh, There is an exception to this. There is a book by, by author Richard Thompson entitled Alien Identities and he says the Upanishads have instances where there seem to be uh, extraterrestrial contact, and he even refers to me in his book as having doing similar work in the Bible for what he's doing. So I don't know for sure that there would not be too much of an impact on Eastern religions, but that's my impression.
1: I understand that many who believe the the uh, Bible, UFO Connection, point to Ezekiel's wheel as one of the main covenants of the belief.
2: Yes. Uh, you know, Eric Von Daniken brought that up in Chariots mm-hmm. of the Gods. I didn't deal with it much in my book, partly because it's what we call in the UFO field a single witness sighting. <laughs> right. Compared with the exodus where you have hundreds or thousands of people following the pillar of the fire for 40 years. So that's one of the longest uh, close encounters in human history, I think, but as far as uh, Ezekiel and the wheel, mm-hmm. uh, it it reads like a you know some kind of a physical object. It has burning, burning or bronze, bronze, burnished bronze appearance to it, uh, as well as the wheel within the wheel physical description. So that may be a genuine UFO encounter uh, in the Bible. In terms of its impact on or say Jewish and Christian history, I'd say it's fairly small. You know, uh, tell me what did Ezekiel do that really made a difference in our in Christian religious history or Jewish Christian religious history? Nothing. Nothing. That's my point. <laughs> so whereas the Exodus mm-hmm. and the pillar of cloud and fire that was with the Jewish people for 40 years and probably feeding them the manna that dropped from the sky and so on and giving them all the commandments for their religion, right uh... That they created the, the you know, the extraterrestrials created the Jewish religion, and then Christianity is kind of a Gentile version of that. And I but, think that the same reality that started the Jewish faith also started the Christian faith.
1: You know, you've got created. to admit that's a great story. But how do we prove it? How do we know it's real? How do we know that Moses wasn't another Shakespeare? After all, didn't he write the first uh, four books of the Bible? How do we know he just wasn't a an author who who tried his best to make semblance of a world that very few people could understand at that time
2: can't prove it, and that's part of the game. Okay, it's a faith game, and mm-hmm. there's a difference between proof and faith. Um,
1: but but and, when we're talking about making a claim that there's a, a Bible and UFO connection, isn't that supposed to be based on fact and not faith? No. Why can't not? Do it. Why?
2: Uh, it, it may be that if the UFOs landed mm-hmm. and said, hey, guys, we created the Bible, right. <laughs> then, you got, then you got it.
1: Oh, I, so I, I way, understand that. So until that happens, how can we say with yes. any certainty that this is a legitimate claim?
2: Uh, maybe not. Maybe not. And maybe it isn't legitimate uh-huh. yet. Okay? It's certainly not legitimate to any of my professors in seminary or right. the other people that I try to talk to about this. But what I'm saying may be true, and evidence may come along in the future, which shows that what I'm saying is true. And in fact, I believe that that's how it'll be. I believe this is going to be proven true.
1: All right, so if it, in my lifetime. if it does happen, yes. whether it's in your lifetime or beyond our lifetimes, you know, in God we trust. Could we really trust in God if the extraterrestrials were depicted in the Bible and they were responsible for what has happened, the creation of mankind, humankind, and not a God?
2: That's that's certainly a big, good question. Um, <laughs> if, if you know, kind of, if disclosure took place, I'm sure that question's going to be right at the top of the line. Here's, here's the best answer, okay? Okay. I trust the New Testament. I trust the Jesus of the New Testament. I trust that Jesus prayed, and I think he prayed to a spiritual reality mm-hmm. that was non physical. In fact, Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And by spirit, I identify that with the inner part of myself. Right. Uh, and it's the same with the inner part of yourself, and it's mostly invisible. But at the same time, I see it as similar to, oh, the uh, dark matter of the universe. It's there, you can't see it, you can't get at it, but it's there. And so I think, for me, God is that kind of reality. Not, you can't get at it with instruments, um, but at the same time, it's a key part of what makes us alive.
1: But doesn't it also keep a myth and a legend alive when you can't prove it's there and you can't prove it's not?
2: yeah i guess i'll ask you this
1: sure.
2: <laughs> are you married yes i am okay did you know the marriage was going to work out when you said your vows yes i did okay on what basis
1: i know myself i know Andrew, that whatever what? i put my mind to i succeeded
2: yes. yeah okay i think that it also depended on your partner being reliable. And so it's that kind of a thing with, I think, faith in God. Mm-hmm. You've got to decide whether or not God is a reliable reality that we can trust or not. And uh, and that believing then in this reality uh, as the creator of the universe we right. have, and also as the redeemer of. All that's gone wrong in the world in which we live—that's uh, my faith, and that's that's what why I'm a Christian.
1: Uh, and and I appreciate that, and I highly respect that, sir. Okay. But when I when push comes to shove, why did if there's if there is one deity called God that is the creator of heaven and earth and everything that we know of that has been, is, and will be. Why are there so many different religions? And many of these religions believe in other deities. Why?
2: I don't know. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, You know, certainly what happened with the coming of the God of the Jews Mm -hmm. is that there was tremendous aggression toward the reigning idolatry of the day. I mean, the, the Jews were told to Break down the the idols that uh, the Philistines worshipped, and this kind of thing, and mm-hmm. the story of the Ark of the Covenant being stolen by the Philistines, and they carried this ark next to and set it down next to their god Dagon and during the night, Dagon fell over. <laughs> okay You may or not want to believe that story, but in any case, um, the superiority of the God of the jews is is one of the things that's Triumphs just throughout the Old Testament, and in our time we don't like that. We want all religions to be of equal value. That's our version of political correctness. But
0: don't
1: don't we also have to say that the Bible was written by a Jew, so of course his God would be the victor. After all, we know that history is written by the the, winner. the winners.
2: Yep, true enough. We will see. <laughs> I think there will be a Day of Judgment, and we will see who the winners are. It, it, what Jesus said is, uh-huh. in the Day of Judgment, some will get yield 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. And so not everybody is equally productive in this life.
1: So basically what we're saying here, Jesus said, it's my way or the highway.
2: Well, he said, you know, he, um, he judged the Samaritans in a quite friendly way. You know, he told the Good Samaritan story, which is right. an embarrassment to the Jewish listeners. I think he's capable of judging um, fairly. That's just my my hope. <laughs> my hope that God can judge fairly. <laughs> that would be my definition of God. Right. Is if God God can judge fairly, He sees all and therefore can give a true judgment. In fact, this is why Jesus commanded, "Judge not, that you may not judge." That our judgment is so partial in terms of understanding reality that we aren't going to make correct judgments.
1: All right, stand by. Barry, you and I have to take our final break. In Dexional Nation, if you'd like to get a copy of the 50th anniversary edition of The Bible and Flying Saucers, it was originally published in 1968, but for the 50th edition, it is available at Amazon.com. And we'll be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our broadcast centre and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget to check out the programming on the Exxon prog- uh, the Exxon Broadcast Network. Visit www.xzbn.net. And for the Exone TV channel on Simul TV, visit simultv.com. Exone Nation Barry Downing is our guest, and uh, we've been talking about Bibles and Flying Saucers this hour here in the Exxon, If you'd like to get a copy. Of the fiftieth anniversary edition of the Bible and Flying Saucers by Barry Downing. Visit uh, Amazon.com. Barry, why do you think that God only speaks to certain people and not the rest of His people? Why does He, why does He pick favorites?
2: Yep, this is. Um, I have a second book. It's called Biblical UFO Revelations. Okay. And it has an appendix. one of the appendix. It's about fifty pages long. Is called UFOs, the Bible, and Targeted Intervention. Uh, in a way, this is a military concept. Uh, if you want to uh, take out an enemy, you send in a drone or something like this. You don't have to march a whole enemy in. In a way, the uh, destruction of the Twin Trade Towers is a very clever, clever example of targeted intervention. I think that the Jewish Exodus is an example of targeted intervention, and of course, when the voice of god came to moses at the burning bush Mm -hmm. uh, this is further targeted intervention is moses is the chosen one to be the spokesperson for god uh, as the exodus comes about um i think that you in order for faith to really prosper god has to be out of sight Uh, i think god is too powerful in his essential being, so that he overpowers, uh, he would overpower most humans mm-hmm. if they got into too close contact with him. Um, I think that the, the danger of the modern UFO situation is mm-hmm. that our culture may not be able to handle um, direct contact with a superior culture. There's been, you know, studies done about this. I think the Brookings Institute did a study and they concluded if the government found out there were advanced cultures they should keep it quiet because it would damage our ability to go on it would hurt the ego of the culture as a whole so I think that God uses targeted intervention into you know selected individuals mm-hmm. this would be Moses, Elijah uh, Jesus and then the twelve apostles <clears throat> and and so uh, Jesus went away and left the apostles to be the spokespersons for for his um his understanding of right. what godliness is um so I think that it, it, we're better off getting the god word second hand or third hand mm-hmm. uh, it's just less uh less intimidating sure. it gives us more freedom uh we can doubt exactly the way you've described it, you know that the whole of the Bible may be myth or right. believe or whatever that so you know, don't even bother taking God seriously if you don't want to. And well, it, look,
1: up. you know, I, I'm, I'm sitting here, and, and, and my mind is, is is thinking, well, wait a minute. Moses, the person who had this, this contact with God that lasted the longest, 40 years, you know, he's, he wrote the first four books of the Bible. Is it, uh, when, when did he have time to sit down with God and get all this information? Or is it possible that God, the word God, is actually the pen name of Moses.
2: Well, I don't know. I can't answer that. Uh, Most, okay, when I was in seminary, Mm -hmm. certainly what they told me was that Moses may have written some material, but there was a lot of other material that was added in and edited. Right. And in fact, there were more than one tradition. There was the J tradition in which God was referred to as Yahweh, right? And then the E tradition, which God was referred to as Elohim, right? And this is El- Elohim is a derivative of the Hebrew word El, which means power, right? And I think that the uh, the Muslim name for God, Allah, is derived from the same uh, Hebrew or Semitic root El, meaning power. So, in terms of how all these things got Mm-hmm. Mixed together into the final document that we see now, uh, I think that the oldest um, complete Hebrew text is goes to around thirteen a d do you know
1: <laughs> no sir. that that's that's before my time, believe it or yep. not
2: <laughs> yep, mine too but um, <laughs> I, I, so you know there's a long history yeah. uh, in terms of the way scholars try to figure out uh, how the text is put together and how accurate it is and that kind of stuff. Uh, when they found the you know, the Dead Sea Scroll, right. they found the Isaiah Scroll, uh, they found that it it was several hundred years newer, or at least older, than mm-hmm. any other scroll we had. And there was only about 13 major changes from the the uh, trend, the Hebrew version of Isaiah that we had at that time and then they found the Isaiah scroll uh which was many years older and only 313 changes I think were required so there's been a lot of care done by scholars through the years um But isn't isn't
1: it true that in the in the olden days before we had The printing press as well as the the modern technology that we have today, books or anything that was deemed to be of importance, whether it was religious or educational, was copied over and over and over and over again by scribes. Uh, Could this be what happened with this, the finding of the Dead Dead Sea Scrolls, that they were just a a copy and the subtle changes had been made in the duplication process?
2: yes but they found that this old copy that mm-hmm. was older than any previous copies was surprisingly true to the, the copy that we had at that time so it's like you find okay uh, somebody had copied this thing 300 years ago mm-hmm. and now you get uh, a copy that's 600 years old and you find there's only 13 uh, words that need to be changed uh, that's that's quite a bit of accuracy
1: where do the nephilim uh, the nef- nephilim uh, come into the picture
2: okay you're back to uh, genesis 6 now i guess and they they were understood to be uh kind of a tribe that perhaps uh, related to uh the sons of god uh, this this the chapter 6 and Chapter uh, 6 in Genesis, is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, one version is that these were kind of fallen angels, mm-hmm. the sons of God that came to earth and took wives, human women, as wives, and then they had, had giants as a result of this union. Right. Um, and there's kind of some text that suggests that there were like 200 fallen angels that were involved in this and that they weren't going to be allowed back into heaven because of their sin. Um, but um, it's, you know, there's not a lot of material on this, and I'm afraid I can't do more than that.
1: So, so um, if, if, the, if, the, if the Nephilim were the sons of God who came to yeah. earth, would they be like Jesus then, because Jesus was the son of God?
2: Right. They seem to be part of the angelic order, mm-hmm. but they disobeyed God, okay? And this is why the argument that Jesus might have been married is real heresy, see, because these Nephilim would have been, or these sons of God that came down to earth and married human women, they were big-time sinners. So if you're going to say Jesus was married, then he was a big-time sinner too. So it's a a real heretical argument to suggest that Jesus was married. Um, can't say more than that.
1: So what's next for you, uh, Barry? What are you up to next?
2: I'm just going to wait and see if, <laughs> if disclosure stuff really happens. Right. Well, if it really happened, mm-hmm. you know, if uh, suddenly it broke out, um, religious leaders are going to have to deal with this. And uh, it won't take too long before they start looking at things like the part the Red Sea from a different point of view. Uh, obviously, you've got liberal scholars now who don't think it ever happened. Right. They think it's all mythology. Mm-hmm. Then you've got fundamentalists who don't like me. Uh, even though I take so much of the part of the Red Sea literally and explain it literally, but I do it in terms of technology, not in terms of the supernatural. So fundamentalists uh, maintain their belief in the Bible by basically baptizing the whole thing is inerrant from beginning to end, and therefore there can't be any errors in it, and therefore everything in it is true. But when I say, well, now wait a minute, <clears throat> it looks like. Uh, the pillar cloud and the fire may have been some type of a spaceship, mm-hmm. and the the angels. Uh, this is high stress for fundamentalists, and uh, and if you have, if you suddenly have disclosure in which the government says yes, the uh, UFOs are there, flying saucers are there, spaceships are there, the aliens. Are are they here? And they've been here for thousands of years. We're sure of this. Or we've talked to them, and they said we've been here for thousands of years. Or we've talked to them, and they said, yeah, we brought about the biblical religion. Or, or they talked,
1: talk or they can't talk yeah. to them because they've never been here.
2: Yeah. Okay. But in any case, if they said, yeah, you know, if they put a guy in the White House for an interview, and you get him here and say,ing, you know, I'm quite old. I'm several thousand years old. I right. was there when the Red Sea was parted. Uh, what do you think is going to happen,
1: Barry? I hate to do this, but we've run out of time for tonight. I want to thank you so much for joining us in DEXO Nation. If you'd like to get a copy of Barry's book, it's entitled uh, "The Bible and Flying Saucers." The 50th anniversary edition is available at Amazon.com. All right, DEXO Nation, you tell me: Are you a believer in the Bible's the Bible and flying saucers, or UFOs, or spacecraft? or are you a skeptic, or are you like me? I want to see the meat. I want to see proof. I don't want to listen to folklore. I don't want to listen to legends. They're nice. They have their place in society, but not when it affects so many people. I want the truth. After all, this is the Exxon Broadcast Network, and we're always searching for answers, but I demand the truth. I'm Rob McConnell, away